0: good morning folks uh it's lovely to be here and to see everyone out this morning i want to read from god's word this morning i want to read from Philippians chapter two so if you've got a bible there please turn to that chapter and we'll read together from god's word Uh, if you have any encouragement from being united with christ if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with the Spirit. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in mine absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may, come, may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing." But even as I've been poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And we know that God will uh, bless the reading of his precious word. Well, when I was preparing for this talk and Wondering how I would, I would introduce it, I got some inspiration from a very surprising source. I had the misfortune, or misfortune, depending on your point of view, to tune in to the Stephen Nolan show. Uh, you might have heard about it. It bills itself very modestly as the biggest show in the country. Anyway, uh, whenever I tuned in, there was a, a consumer champion being interviewed on the current cost of living crisis. And the guy became absolutely apoplectic as he warned of the dire consequences of the spiraling costs of of energy as as winter approaches. Millions of people are going to face fuel poverty, he he told us. People are going to be dying in their homes because of the cold. Even the middle classes are going to be unable to pay their bills. We are facing Armageddon, he bellowed, And this government is doing nothing to help. Well, by the time he'd finished, my stress levels had gone through the roof. And I thought to myself, good grief. How depressing. We've just come through a pandemic. You do remember COVID, don't you? Yeah, not so long ago. Thing of the past. But now we're told we face another crisis of similar proportions. And behind it, of course, is the, is the ongoing war in Ukraine. And while we complain of the, the cost of living, people in Ukraine are, are dying, fleeing their, fleeing as their homes and their, their hospitals are being pulverized. And, of course, we've been reminded this morning of the, the crisis in Pakistan where something like 30 million people have been displaced because of these, these terrible floods. It puts our crisis into proportion. But, you know, it's true there are a lot of concerning things out there and they can just suck the joy out of our lives. And we as as Christians, we're we're not immune to the difficult circumstances that that face the whole of society. And of course, opposition to biblical truth and, and Christian moral values is growing day by day. And we also carry the weight of unsaved family members. Some of us face ill health Difficulties in in relationships within our families, even within our church or the workplace. And circumstances can just weigh us down and steal our joy from us. So how can we counteract this as Christians and live victorious lives in difficult times? How do we experience contentment in the face of circumstances? Joy when there is despair all around. Biblical joy comes from the Lord. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it in a nutshell when he said this, joy is a response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This joy is not dependent on circumstances. It's easy to be happy and, and filled with joy when, when all's going well, when the new baby's born and when we get the job and when Man United beat Liverpool. Um, you know, that's the way of the world, isn't it? But we need something deeper than that. Paul, of course, is our, our example of, of joy in the middle of suffering. Beaten, shipwrecked, and, and all the rest of it, he still has his joy. He says in 2 Corinthians 7, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. As we face our personal difficulties and, and opposition, there is this immovable source of joy within the gospel. The good news that a righteousness before God that is freely given and not earned. Philippians 3, 8-9. You know, I love those verses uh, that we read at Christmas time of those men who, who came from the east and who had come to Jerusalem seeking uh, for Christ. And I especially love the way the King James Version puts it, when the star pinpointed his position. It says they, they, they rejoice with exceeding great joy. Why? Exceeding great joy. Because the saviour of the world was born. You know, those guys, they didn't know much about Jesus, but they knew they had found someone of unparalleled, unparalleled significance and the source of unrivaled joy. You know, we need to wake up and we need to rejoice with exceeding great joy in the gospel this morning. This is the way that Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If we can only grasp the source of this true joy, we are set free from so much that will cause us pain and sorrow from chasing happiness and and joy in things that can only ultimately disappoint us. I'm sure a lot of you here can remember a series of very funny ads by Benson and Hedges, the tobacco manufacturers. They featured some sort of hapless individuals as they faced some sort of excruciatingly embarrassing or, or potentially disastrous situation. And with a resigned look, They would simply light a cigar and the caption would roll, happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. They were very funny, I have to say. But of course, tobacco advertising was eventually banned because far from causing happiness, tobacco actually caused cancer. You see, so many things that we chase after to find joy end up with a sting in the tail. When we think of an example of joyful contentment in the midst of difficult circumstances, there really is no better place to look than this letter that we have read from this morning. And the big takeaway message of Philippines is this. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, believers everywhere are invited into joyful lives marked by the same self-giving that characterized Jesus Christ's own life. Let me take time to remind you a little of the background. Paul is is writing to the church at Philippi. That was the first church he ever established. He started out on his first missionary journey, fully intending to to go to Asia, to to turn to that that part of the world with the gospel. And, you know, we should be so grateful this morning that he heeded that Macedonian cry and turned uh, west instead of east. His God-directed decision ensures that that centuries later, you and I possess the gospel message. We know the good news. And so some, maybe 10 years later, Paul sits down to write a thank you letter to these guys for the gift that they've sent him. And as he does, no doubt his his mind turns back to those, those first converts. Lydia, by the bank's, the river. I'm sure he mused on how crucial she was to the spread of the message. And the jailer, what memories Paul must have had of him and his his conversion. Did he smile when he thought of that that big rough guy as he tenderly bathed their wounds? The work that that grace did in his heart. And so we find Paul in chapter 1, fondly remembering these folks. He thanks God for them. Every time he prays for them, his heart's just bubbling up with joy, not just because they believed his message, but also because they became active supporters, partners in the gospel, and that brought joy to his heart. And so we prays for them in chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. He prays that their love will keep overflowing and that their knowledge and understanding will keep growing. He wants them to understand what really matters. You know, we need to get a hold of that. What really matters. So often we spend time and energy on things that don't really matter. He says, what matters is this, to live a pure and blameless life that will be fruitful for God. You know, I pray that for myself and for Castlereagh Fellowship this morning. But next, Paul brings them and us into his present circumstances. And, well, they're not great, are they? He's imprisoned, most likely in Rome, not in a dungeon, but probably under some sort of house arrest. Now, for a gospel preacher whose ministry took him far and wide across the world, this was a real body blow. Surely a disaster, a roadblock in his ministry. Now, whether his chains were were literal or or metaphorical doesn't really matter. He was definitely severely curtailed. And surely that must have been a a deeply frustrating, depressing situation for Paul. But you know, as you read these words, you realize that, that Paul will have absolutely none of that. Why is that? Because even the dogs in the street knew that Paul was imprisoned for one reason, and for one reason only, his testimony for Christ. He might have been the one imprisoned, but he literally had a captive audience because the the palace guards were the guys who were assigned to oversee his imprisonment. And no doubt uh, there was some sort of a a revolving shift of these men 24-7. So the story of Paul and the gospel message that he preached became common knowledge amongst several thousand men and beyond them within the palace where the Roman emperor Nero lived. It was the ultimate inside job. Instead of Paul's imprisonment stifling the gospel, it infiltrated the very seat of Roman power. Now, no doubt it came at huge personal cost for Paul, but he was able to look beyond his own present circumstances, his own situation, and he rejoiced. He saw the big picture. He saw what God was doing. And more than that, as Paul testified boldly in captivity, other believers were inspired by his example to bravely share the gospel. Others however, took the opportunity to make mischief for Paul. And they preached the gospel too, but they hoped in some sort of perverted way to outrage public opinion and to discredit him. Amazingly, Paul doesn't seem at all perturbed. He he doesn't issue denials or start defending his reputation. He isn't downhearted. He simply shrugs off the personal attacks and says, what does it matter? What does it matter? Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. There's that word again. Yes, he says, and I'm going to keep on rejoicing because I know I'm going to be delivered. And you wonder, has Paul suddenly received his release papers? Has he just been told he's, he's free to go? Is this the source of his happiness and joy? Well, no. Paul's just as uncertain as ever he was about the future. But he's absolutely certain about his deliverance. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help given to me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. As far as he's concerned, deliverance can come in either of two ways. Either he will be released from his imprisonment, uh, and the clutch is narrow and, and afraid to continue to continue with his gospel preaching, or else he will be put to death. Either way, he considers that he will be delivered. You know, as you read that, you almost feel like saying, deliverance that comes through freedom. Yeah, sure, we can, we can understand that. We can pray about that. But deliverance by death? Wow. How can you even say that, Paul. But Paul can say that, and he can say it truthfully, because of his attitude to life and death. You see, for him, life was all about serving Christ. He saw death as simply a door to something better, better than this life. And we know those, the, the, that wonderful verse, verse 21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's easy to say, harder to believe and to live out. Paul didn't live for financial gain or for security or for fame or, or, or pleasure. Serving Christ was just so superior that he counted all the rest of those things as rubbish. He just had a simply different value system. He modeled his life on Jesus. His attitude was the same as that of Jesus Christ. Dying would take him into the presence of Jesus and immeasurable joy. Nothing on earth could possibly compare. Quite simply, it would be gain, indescribably better. Let's be honest. We really struggle with that, don't we? You know, for us, far too often, we view death as a great loss. But Paul wants us to have a different attitude, to have a different mindset. And as we do, we begin to see the secret of contentment and joy that underpinned him and will hold us up in difficult days. But what about living in the here and now? What about some of the issues that rob us of joy today? And Paul deals with some of those in chapter 2 that we've read this morning or part of it. You see, these believers were a great example of Christmas, of Christian living. But problems lay below the surface that threatened to steal their joy away. There was an undercurrent of strife just below the surface. Personal relationships were strained between two women in the church. One of the issues that can rob us of our joy and our contentment is that of conflict within personal relationships. You know, we're, we're all broken people who rub other broken people up their own way. And the ifs that we read of in verse one are not ifs of doubt, but of debate. We could perhaps insert since, the word since instead, since there is so great encouragement in knowing Christ, since his love is of such comfort, since we enjoy such fellowship together by the Holy Spirit, since we know such tenderness and compassion in the gospel, since all of that is true this morning, surely, says Paul, surely we can be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This attitude will make the joy he has in those believers complete. But how does that play out in practice? When these two ladies don't get on, When conflict threatens our unity and steals away our joy, what does the consideration of this love and encouragement and fellowship and tenderness of Christ result in? How does it play out? Here is how it works, verses 3 and 4. It will cause us to examine ourselves. Do nothing, Paul says, out of ambition for oneself. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Ambition raises us up. Conceit puts other people down. It will cause us to consider our attitudes. Don't be proud, says Paul. Don't be proud. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look around this morning. Do you consider your neighbor better than yourself? Don't be selfish, she says. Look, onto, look to others' interests, not just your own. You know, we live in a me-first society, don't we? Paul says, look to others' interests not just your own. You know, as I, as I read that uh, yesterday, I, I couldn't help thinking of the, of the upper room and, and how that, that Luke records in, in chapter 22 there, a dispute between the disciples that seems almost unbelievable given the circumstances. Luke says, a, a dispute arose amongst them as to which was the greatest. And you sort of go, wow, what were they thinking about? And the Lord corrects their attitude by his words in in Luke's gospel, but in in John's gospel, he teaches by example. As the meal was being served, we're told that Jesus, in the full knowledge that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, that he was going to God, he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Crosses just around the corner. And this is what he does. The disciples, they walked past the water. They walked past the basin. They walked past the tile. Each of them had their ambitions. Each of them thought himself above the task. Their attitude was one of pride and self interest. So easy to criticise them, isn't it? But we know our own hearts, don't we? The attitude that Paul is advocating is completely at odds with our human minds. We just can't do that on our own human strength. It will only come through the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the example of Jesus Christ. Your attitude, says Paul, or your mind, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 5. And, you know, these... The, the verses that follow that from 6 to 11 are, are maybe amongst the most poetic descriptions of the, of the humility and the, the, the exaltation of, of Jesus Christ that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Uh, Paul doesn't attempt to give us a complete list of all the, the attitudes that, that Christ displayed, but instead he, he selects only those, those, those qualities that are most relevant to the Philippians. You know, it's very easy to read and joy and marvel at this, this beautiful pen sketch of Jesus from afar and ignore the exhortation that comes first. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That indicates that we have a choice in the matter. It should be. The question is, is it? Let's do a very quick run through these verses. We don't have time to do them justice. The Greek word that they the authorized version translate as form, you know, talks about Jesus Christ being in the form. It, it suggests a sort of a shape, but the original Greek word, you know, knows nothing of that. It's translated in the NIV as nature, which is near the mark, because we are told that the idea of the essence of something or someone. You see, we can be in no doubt whatsoever that Jesus is God. He didn't cling to the privileges of deity though he didn't try to to achieve equality with the father he had that already it was his but he chose not to cling on to it instead he set aside all the privileges that were his but not the position he was still fully God while he became fully man Whenever Christ was in the throne and glory above, he obeyed no one. He had to humble himself and become a man in order to experience obedience to death. But Jesus is also the ultimate example of, of exaltation after humility. You know, what it means here is that the Father super-exalted him. The whole of creation, the whole of creation is subject to him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. You see, his victory is total and absolute this morning. And what do those voices confess? They confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's important to remember though that wonderful and glorious is this description of Jesus is. Paul didn't give it a, just to, to educate the, the Philippians theologically. It wasn't just an exercise. He gave it as an example to help them understand four separate things. First of all, how to evaluate his own ministry, which, for all uh, appearances, seems to have just hit the buffers. Secondly, how God reveals his power, how he delights to show his power through our humble actions, how, he, how to act towards each other to maintain unity within relationships and within the church and how that to follow Jesus' example of patient obedience and uh, humility would result in great joy, great joy. Therefore, he says in verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation not work for your salvation, but to work it out in every aspect of their lives, to activate it, to put it to work. We're not supposed to be invisible. We're supposed to be salt and light. The joy of our salvation is to shine out in a dark world. Paul says in verse 15 and 16, you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Do you think of yourself as a a star this morning, shining in the universe i wonder do we do we shine or do we just smolder sometimes more smoke than light you know there's no joy in smoldering no wonder timothy is told "Fall to flame the gift of god i wonder if you remember whenever those scientists discovered the vaccine from for covid You know, they were absolutely ecstatic, weren't they? They could hardly contain themselves as they proudly presented their findings. And we are very grateful for them. No wonder they were were happy, they were filled with joy. It was a life-changing discovery that they made, no doubt about it. But how much greater value is the word of life that we are to hold out? It's not just a life-changing word, it's an eternity-changing word for for sinners. So says Paul, given the value of this message, you shine like stars in the universe. The darker the night, the brighter the stars. We're to shine against the dark background of this unbelieving world. And it's dark out there, folks. We are to accept God's will for our lives. We are not to complain and we're not to argue over things that don't really matter. And what's the result of that? Well, says Paul, you'll become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation. Now, let's be real. The idea is not that we're going to be perfect, but that those around us should find no fault in us as we represent Jesus Christ and as we present the gospel, we hold out this word of life. There should be no contradiction between our our living and our words that will involve both sacrifice and service, giving up on things that would compromise our testimony and giving of our time and our talents to serve him. Because of his his joy at their spiritual attainment, their sacrifice and service, Paul says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Even if he goes to, 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 to the, uh, the, the block, even if he loses his head, even if he dies, he says, I am glad and rejoice with you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You see, Paul considered the service and the sacrifice of the Philippians as the greater offering, the burnt offering, if you like, and his life and service as a smaller thing, the drink offering that accompanied the main offering. Throughout Philippines, Paul describes the Christian life as one of joy and encourages his readers to rejoice. You know, I think this is one of the greatest calls and the greatest needs of the Christian church today. Whatever our circumstances, whether in sickness or health, rich or poor, com- uh, comfortable or afflicted, we are called to rejoice in God. The gospel will multiply, not as we display some sort of superior intellect or material blessings or social inter- influence, but as we display this infectious joy in the message and in the God of the gospel. A joy that is unconquerable no matter what the circumstances. The letter to the Philippines uh, tackles head on our tendency towards discouragement, and hopelessness, and it presents us with a joy that is unquenchable. It points us to Christ, who is truly God, yet emptied himself and died on a cross for our sake. While fully uh, recognizing the challenges that face us, the gospel gives us a comfort and a balm for the soul that no experience we will ever face can take away lasting joy. No matter what happens, God has freely given those who trust in Christ a righteousness that is not dependent on their obedience, but on Christ. So Paul can say in chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And we can say the same thing if we hold on to this wonderful gospel that we have. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.